Good afternoon. Happy last day of the Canucks season to you. For those of you that celebrate, I don't know if it's a happy occasion. They're not going to the playoffs or anything, but season comes to a close tonight. It's People Show coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. I'm Bic, Dom, Ben, behind the glass, running the show. That was a pretty meek wave by Ben, but nevertheless. Dom didn't even wave. Yeah, it was a better effort. There's there's the big one by Dom. Body language. Man, was that last week we were doing the body language yes. takes? Whew. The season has just flown by. It all just merges together. So if you happen to have memories of any of it, uh, we're encouraging you to start the show uh, by sending in a text into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. A word to sum up the Canucks season. Just one word. Don't try to make the simple complex. No sentence. Just a word to sum up the Canucks season. 650 650. We'll get to your submissions in just a bit. Also, we'll hear from Ian McIntyre. Sportsnet's triple threat in a couple of moments. And Brad May will join us as he does every Thursday. Uh, he'll join us shortly after 3.30. Can I get things started with the word? Oh, you got one? You want to? I do. Okay. I just want to kick things off. Jump the queue. Be okay. the catalyst. Okay. Uh, lasagna. This season has been lasagna, a repeating, repeating <laughs> layers of the same thing over and over again to make a very filling dish. You're only saying that just because you learned about lasagna moments ago. I do not have comment. <laughs> that is my word. I will now call you McIntyre. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with failure. Let's not uh, beat around the bush here. They wanted to make the playoffs this year. Players themselves talked about wanting to make the playoffs this year. Thatcher Demko, I, I'm still moved from the day where Thatcher, Thatcher Demko started the season talking about if corrected himself and said when we make the playoffs. They wanted to go to the playoffs. They failed. It's failure. Now, they've made steps to improve for long term, obviously. Thought it was the right move. You know, Horvat contract expiring. Heronic's a solid D-man. And on and on. But if we're talking about 15 years from now, someone asks you, hey, how would you uh, describe the 2022-2023 season? You'd say failure. They didn't make the playoffs. For me, no other way to put it. 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Typical one that's coming in. Ray and East fan, among many others. Embarrassing. Trevor, uh, Trevor in the Ridge. Uh, Sam says, awesome. A lot of good uh, submissions coming in. Well, again, we'll pitch this by Ian McIntyre in just a moment. Uh, pathetic is one that's coming in. Unforgettable. 
from Torgi. Uh, exhausting from Rizzo in the Ridge. I get all of it. I get all of it. Uh, we'll get to more of your submissions here in just a bit. But let's connect with Ian McIntyre, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, keeping you at the top of your game. Now found together online at DLEAMC.com. That's DLEAMC.com. Sportsnet's Triple Threat Radio television, and also sportsnet.ca. And if you haven't read the Elias Pedersen piece that Ian just penned, or I guess typed, not penned anymore, uh, at sportsnet.ca, I highly encourage you to do so. Ian, how are you? I'm doing well. Bic, is Bic short for something? Uh, Bikram, yes, but literally nobody calls oh. me. I, honestly, like not even my family calls me Bikram anymore. Your mom and dad don't call you Bikram. I, don't, I think the last person to call me Bikram was like an aunt from 20 years ago. <laughs> okay. Well, I I don't know why that popped into my head when I came on, but I just thought, you know, I've never asked you that. Is Ian short for anything? No, no. And I've had nicknames that are like when I was a kid that were That are different than iMac? Oh, yeah. You got to remember. It's it's the easiest nickname. It's the best nickname. How are you supposed to trump that? But iMac became uh, possible due to Apple computers. So that in, can't possibly be true. No, no one, no one called true. you iMac before the Apple computer? No. Nobody. I just assumed if you had a name with Mac in it, everyone just called you Mac. A Mac, B Mac, C Mac, D Mac, no, and no, on no. through the alphabet. I, I was just Mac. Oh. For for a bunch of people, including some uh, a few players call me Mac, but <clears throat> no. It was uh, the age of Apple computers and the internet I became iMac. In fact, sometimes I tell people, and I don't mind, uh, iMac I'm, I'm fine with, uh, but I tell people it's kind of like a stage name and that, that people have known me a long time, they just call me Mac. Oh, huh. well, today we learned. Uh, well, yeah. well, Mac... but, I, <laughs> but it's better than a lot of the nicknames or some of the nicknames I had when I was a kid. So oh yeah, that's I... why I'm, call me whatever you like, but uh, as, long as, as long as it's not out of the time the time vault from grade, I don't know, five or something. Uh, I, I definitely don't need to go down my, my old nicknames from elementary school either. Uh, so, yeah. Ian, um, your piece uh, yesterday uh, on Elias Patterson. you know, the, the thing I really loved about reading it is, you know, the, the, the sentiment from also like Rick Tockett and just talking about, hey, what matters to him and how those values kind of line up as far as practice habits with what we think we're going to see from Elias Patterson here moving forward. Yeah, and and obviously, you know, the the really good thing about this for the Canucks and whatever they're going to become is that people like Pedersen and Quinn Hughes as well, who we've, we've talked a lot about and I've written a lot about him this season as well, are are so willing to embrace uh, <clears throat> the demands put on them to to lead. Uh, you can't, you, you can't, as I said on TV the other night, you can't, you can't lead reluctantly. You can't do it if you really don't want to do it. And, you know, we sometimes, I think, in the market, because it's such a big media market, and there's always, there always seems to be something to talk about and something to ask players about. We, I think, uh, have an inflated sense of how important it is for somebody to, to do public speaking, to answer our questions and do press scrums. And that is important, and it's really important in this market. But for the leadership that 
Rick Tockett is looking for and Patrick Alvin is looking for. It's it's about basically just setting a standard in in everything you do. And to them, I don't think the media thing is a big the biggest part. Well, I know it's not the biggest part. I'm not even sure it's a big part of it to them. It's about, as Tockett said, you know, practice habits. And Alvin has talked about, you know, doing doing your best, set an example, no matter what you're doing every every day. And that includes, you know, in the off season, in in how you train, and how you eat, and how you get ready, what you work on. <clears throat> excuse me, to get ready for the next season, which of course the Canucks are going to be in that mode after tonight. But it. It is. Uh, it was interesting to me as well that Rick Tockett, because I didn't ask him about practice. He just said, "Well, I'm a big practice guy, and that's and that's what Elias is. is that's what his next big big step will be. He's not not just leading them on the ice in games, which he has been doing, but leading leading them on the ice in practice, leading them off the ice. You know, when they're doing anything as well in the gym, uh, and that's where you know the Sedins were so legendary. Uh, that no matter what it was, whether it was, you know, the, the uh, lifting in the gym or, or, or the cardio or practice or games or fitness, uh, they just led in everything and didn't have to be loud about it. They just, they just set the standard and then it was up to everybody to try to strive for that. That's, that's what this organization wants from, from Pedersen and, and Quinn Hughes. And it is a lot to ask to set that standard, to be the guy every day. But again, uh, the good, the good thing about it is that these players want that challenge. They embrace it. They want to lead. I wonder too, because, you know, obviously it's been such a big conversation in the city um, in particular, two shows on our station, just the idea of the, the these end of season results. Right. And I, I'm just thinking in my head right now that, as a unilateral theory, like obviously you can be incentivized by losing here, but you can put context to each particular situation, what Washington is going through, what St. Louis is going through, and what Vancouver is going through. And I do look at the fact that, okay, Bo Horvat just left, and there is a leadership vacuum that someone has to occupy. And I think it, 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 I think it's fair to critique if the players had gone, oh, we'll worry about this next year, when there's an opportunity to try to – show that you can lead in the first step that you the first opportunity you get to do it if if the first impression of these players when there's a focus of them being leaders is we'll worry about it later i don't know if that would have registered yeah i i agree with that but in the end i i don't think and again to bring it back to Pedersen and hughes uh, i i don't think they really they really had a choice because mm-hmm. it was the first practice after the all-star break ended and of course horvat was traded during that break that Tockett uh, told us that he was putting A's on their jerseys. And, and Alvin had, I think, talked about it, if I'm not mistaken, talked about that leadership and that these guys were ready to assume a lot of it when he did his media availability after the Bo Horvat trade. So uh, I don't think it was really, I, I don't think it was really a question of up to them. Um, although of course the team would have talked to them and said, here's what we're thinking. What do you think? But, uh, I think that they both, you know, early on were doing everything they could to show that they are ready for this again, because they do want to be leaders 
And so it, it was never a question for, I'm sure it was never a question for them. I'm not sure it's a question for any player who cares about his craft and is, is professional and conscientious about, you know, not doing everything they can in, in that respect. So, you know, did it, did it add some more wins? Well, absolutely. Their, their best players added wins here down the stretch because they're all, they're all playing so well, but why would you not want them to? I mean, I can see why you'd not want them to, because it'd be handier to lose some games rather than win. But in terms of those players and those guys being the core of your team, uh, you know, you can't, it, it's just the way it is. You can't have them, you can't have them not try. You can't have them, you know, try less or try, but not, not enough to make a difference because they want to make a difference every time they play. And it wouldn't matter whether the team was first overall or last overall. Those guys want to make a difference every time they play and they happen to play really, really well uh, down the stretch and they made a difference in a lot of games. Uh, I started the show asking our listeners to uh, submit one word uh, to describe the season, so I will prompt you with the same task. Uh, one word to describe the 2022-23 season, uh, which will come to a close tonight. Tumultuous. I, I don't think anyone came up with a multi-syllable word, so uh, well done. <laughs> I, well, you know me. It takes me three and a half minutes to, to say hello, so... <laughs> trying to get me to to distill it into one word is really tough uh, you, I, would give you, you may... I would give you several sentences to describe the sen- the season but in in one word i i'd say tumultuous I, I will say for all the submissions that we're getting in they're all very good they're all valid they're all correct and it, it's upon each perspective uh, I, I don't know if anyone had a better description so uh that's why you're you and that's why the rest of us uh <laughs> send in texts to a text line uh so so why tumultuous ian well, just because of what was it, what we thought this season might be and what this season turned out to be. You know, that in itself, if, if it was simply that, then it would be disappointing. But disappointing isn't strong enough. I'd have to use two words and say, like, crushingly disappointing <laughs> or profoundly disappointing. But then you look at all the things that happened along the way in, the, in, this, in this drama. And, you know, my old friend from the Montreal Gazette and, and Sports Illustrated, Michael Farber, once told me years ago that the Montreal Canadiens are the greatest drama going because every year, season after season, the plot line changes, the characters change, there's good guys, bad guys, and they have, a, they have just an absolutely wrapped audience. Well, it's kind of like that, I think, in every Canadian market, and it's certainly like that in Vancouver. And who could have predicted the drama that we've seen this year with the team uh you know the coaching first of all the the terrible start the injuries uh the coaching change uh the off ice the off ice drama involving former employees and 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 the owner the new coach comes in the captain is traded the the franchise goalie is seriously injured and there's questions about you know is he going to get his game back and and then look at where we are now where it seems there's been quite a transformation of the Canucks uh under Tockett I know there's questions about the Tockett bounce being any more sustainable than than the Boudreaux bounce and I would reiterate that what I 
what I think has happened is that the the floor has come a lot higher. We don't know, <clears throat> excuse me, we don't know what the ceiling is. We don't know what this team's going to do next year, and maybe it maybe it disappoints again. Although right now, <laughs> that's hard to imagine because it's a pretty low bar. But I think whatever happens, the the, the fundamentals they're on much more solid ground now with the way the style that this coaching staff has them playing so that the the floor is a lot higher that when things are bad they aren't going to be nearly as bad as they were they were this year but anyways to the, to the point about tumultuous it's just so much upheaval uh, which would be another good word upheaval uh a lot a lot has happened i don't think i've ever seen in, in all the years I've covered the team, I don't think I've ever seen a season quite like this one. The only one that was was comparable was the Mike Keenan, mm-hmm. uh, Brian Burke year, which was year two of Mike Keenan. Mike Keenan, the first year was was Mike Keenan, you know, Trevor Linden, Mark Messier, Pat Quinn fired. I mean, that would probably that season, the first year of Mike Keenan, when Pat Quinn, the iconic leader of the franchise was fired they they also tried to hire him back as coach two weeks later so that shows you how how uh wrecked that season was but this has just been one year of uh tumultuous events for the Canucks so what settles it down then right to 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 go from tumultuous to just calm waters or are there parallels from from the late 90s that you look at and say hey this was the turning point of what settled it down well, I, I wouldn't say a turning point because that remains to be seen. But there are there are actually strong parallels, and I've I've never written this. And I, I haven't I've thought about it a little bit, but haven't fully formed my thoughts on it. But if you think about the chaos at the end of the '90s, well, when did the chaos end? Well, the chaos the chaos ended when Brian Burke hired Mark Crawford as his coach. The losing didn't end right then, but the chaos ended then because it was at that point that there was finally uh, some unity between management and and the coach. And I think the dysfunction that existed in the organization at the start of this season when they brought Bruce back Yet it was clear to everyone that he wasn't really their coach, but they were going to try and make this work because Bruce had been successful. And then they got off to the terrible start. And that dysfunction between coach and management, that was felt by the players. In fact, the the players, some that I talked to, said they, they felt it even coming into training camp, that it was a weird situation and Bruce was in a tough situation. Well, at least now... The, the manager, Patrick Alvine, has his coach in Rick Tockett. And there's now alignment in the organization from the top all the way down. That alignment's not just, doesn't end at Tockett's offices. That goes into player development. That goes into the minor league uh, staff as well. There's finally this alignment. They're all on the same page. They all share a vision of where they want to go and how they need to get there. And so that is, that's probably the most important thing that's happened. And, you know, when, when 
Burke hired Crawford, it was mid-season, as, as this hiring was of, of Talkit. Didn't have the bounce immediately that Talkit did. And then the next season, the team kind of got better and more competitive, but didn't make the playoffs. And I think that this team is going to be better and more competitive and whether they make the playoffs or not, I think they're going to be going in the right direction next season. Tonight's the last game, and I imagine there'll be a sense of relief from the players. So like, hey, we're, we're, we're finally done. We'll, we'll hear from them shortly when they clear their lockers out. Uh, what do you uh, think we'll hear, or what do you expect we'll hear uh, when the players meet with the media uh, for locker cleanout? Well, a lot of disappointment. You know, I, I because I was in L.A. and Anaheim, I got a chance to talk to, to some of them. I had a nice talk with J.T. Miller. It was just disappointment about how the season went, and some optimism about now where they're going. Uh, everyone though recognizes that it was kind of similar to the end of last season where there was disappointment, but there was, there was optimism. But again, I think the difference now, and this is something that, that uh, JT strongly agreed with. The difference is now is with the system that they're playing. Uh, it just uh, lends itself to consistency and to to making making it easier to succeed they have they have this platform now that they didn't have at the end of at the end of last season in terms of how they played so i think there's there's a lot of disappointment in these guys like even though the last two months have been pretty good you know they they weren't close to making the playoffs or saving their season this year as they were last year. And in the end, they weren't that close last year, but they made it interesting. Well, well, this year they were so bad and so far out of it that even these two months didn't really make anything interesting. Nobody was under any illusion that there was any chance to save this season, which maybe makes how well they've played uh, even more notable, perhaps, because realistically they knew that no matter how much they were going to win, they weren't getting into the playoffs. But there's a, there's, disappointment and i also think there's ownership that the players understand at some point this can't always be about the coach and the system and the change of management regimes that there's there's a core here that's been here a few years now and it's up to the players to do better and and be better and i think that you know to loop back to earlier in our conversation i think that's also part of what drives people like Pedersen and Hughes, who have been around for the losing, even though they've been key pieces, they don't want to be key pieces on a losing team. Pedersen doesn't want to have 101 points if he can't go to the playoffs. Uh, they're all pretty driven to be better. We'll see if they can do it next year. Never a tumultuous moment when we speak to you, Ian. I always appreciate it. Thank you very much, and we'll uh, chat later tonight. Yes, we will. Uh, uh, Bick Nazar, Ian McIntyre, doubleheader of sorts. Yeah, the the, the rare one. Uh, Ian, thanks yeah. a lot. Talk to you after the game. See ya. It's Ian McIntyre at IMAX Sportsnet. Check out his stuff at sportsnet.ca. Again, the Pedersen piece uh, up yesterday is just fantastic. Uh, brought to you by Avenue Machinery, Douglas Lake Equipment, keeping you at the top of your game now found together online at DLEAMC.com. Back in a minute with Brad May, home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 
Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the show. Dick Nazar here on The People's Show. It's a Thursday edition, so that means we get to chat with our guy, Brad May, longtime NHLer, former Vancouver Canuck, joins us here on Thursdays on The People's Show. Brad, how's it going? I'm doing great, thank you. Uh, a lot to get into. Final day of the season for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, yesterday on the show, I, I was talking about uh, the significance of Elias Pettersson hitting 100 points and you kind of go through the list since the millennium basically uh if you if you're a center and you hit 100 points at some point you play in the stanley cup final that's just what happens the only guys we have it are like mcdavid matthews dry and ryan nugent hopkins three of those guys play on one team and the other guy's still young um does that does that point mark still matter uh because you know some people texted in last uh last show and they're saying well Miller got 99 points are we saying that that doesn't matter and I, I look at the play you know Pedersen gets the point and how happy all the guys were is that number still registered is it still important listen you know the difference between 99 and 100 obviously whoever wants to argue that point let's let's give them the victory but to actually get 100 points is absolutely amazing it's a milestone I can tell you this I my best year in the NHL I scored 18 goals as a goal scorer 18 goals. And I could have, I hit posts. I could have scored more. I probably should have had 25. Right. But I'll never be, I'll never be discussed as a 20 goal scorer in the national hockey league. And that kind of hurts. Right. I mean, 18, what's the difference between 18 and 20? Obviously it's a lot less than a hundred points, but I guess my point is, Mm -hmm. you know, these milestones are there for a reason. And there's only a reason why a select few actually accomplish those different milestones and for Elias Pettersson listen he's had an incredible run of a his last 120 so games he's had 150 points plus um, he's turning into an elite centerman an elite forward and one of the greatest numbers for me for for um, Elias is that he is an even point getter mm-hmm. an even strength point getter He's second in the National Hockey League behind Connor McDavid for um, most points, even strength. And um, I think that's an amazing accomplishment. It proves that he's a two-way player. He's a competent player. He's capable. But there's no doubt when the puck's on his stick, things happen. It's going to be interesting now, too, going into next season, just to see you mentioned the even strength points. Now that that's confirmed that, hey, he can be amongst the league leaders, one of the best in the league at, at driving play uh, offensively. And and now that there's been this changeover as well into past the, the Tanev-Markstrom era, past the Bo Horvat era, into this now Elias Pettersson era, as he starts to become a leader – and I was talking with Yannick Hansen on Tuesday, and you know one of the things I was talking about was you know now that you have a true star player being the leader of your team, and I, I don't mean like the emotional leader, the the actual like, hey, this guy can lead us somewhere. 
our practice is going to get harder now that he wants to try to compete at a certain level and play at a certain standard that he expects other people to match his. And the question I asked Yannick was, you know, when you felt the team was growing, were, were the practices harder? Did you experience that? It's a great, it's a great question. Um, I'm going to give you two answers to it. Number one, absolutely. Um, the best teams I played on were the hardest working teams, the most diligent teams, um, the ones that didn't, you know, didn't rest on, on off days. They put in the, you know, hour, 45 minutes, whatever the practice length was of work, not to mention getting on the ice early and staying late, um, working on their individual skill sets. Um, the better teams work harder. They're, they work smarter. And um, there's a purpose to what they're trying to accomplish. And the rest of us, and I say us, throwing myself in the other category because I played on other teams that just love playing the game, you know, love being on the ice, but maybe you didn't pay attention to the details that you should have um, that make you um, or make up the winning pedigree. And there's no doubt. I think Yannick Hansen is absolutely correct. And he had that experience um, with the Canucks in 2011, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Um, that team was absolutely, you know, dynamite. They probably should have won the Stanley Cup. Um, but they had a work ethic, you know, that beat others. And that's when they're winning games. And when things were riding high, um, that's probably when they dug in and worked harder. So um, I think that's really important. I don't know if you leave for the second point for, for Elias Pedersen. I love the fact that he's a hardworking guy and he's a 100-point player and he is our, you know, the engine up front. But you, it, you can't rely on just one player mm-hmm. to actually set the tone. It's, it's more of a culture it's, it's, it's a group mentality, and basically, if you have seven or eight guys that aren't buying in, um, the other 15 players in the locker room put the pressure on them. And I think that's where you have a locker room presence. And, you know, not to make much of it, but it is very important, is those players that have character, those intangibles that maybe the fan or, or the bystander doesn't see, and that's what happens when nobody's watching in the locker room and setting the tone. And so I don't think it should be rested on – Quinn Hughes or Elias Pedersen, um, JT Miller, although they can do it by committee, I think it takes the whole team. It is the last game of the season uh, tonight. You'll hear it here on Sportsnet 650. Myself and Sat Shaw with the postgame show, Batch and Randy coming up at 7 o'clock. Uh, the, the, the last game of the season, uh, you know, when you're not going to the playoffs, the, the intensity can, can be kind of low here. Hey, have, have you seen the intensity kind of drop in the Canucks games these last, you know, handful? Listen, the focus is definitely waning. Uh, for some players, it's their last crack, possibly mm-hmm. playing in the National Hockey right? Last, last crack at it. So um, I, I think you're going to have kind of a mixed bag, and it's unfortunate, but that's what happens at this time of the year. And, you know, with focus, a lot of guys are looking forward, um, you know, don't want to think about what's happened in the past. And, um, yeah, I think that's why the teams that are going to the playoffs – um, probably are in this situation is because they haven't had that dynamite focus for you know six and a half months straight, um, and it takes that. It takes that to make the playoffs, and it certainly takes that to go the distance over the next two months. Yeah, because the point of uh, conversation a lot in the city right now is: look, they've won three of their last four. They're going to play Arizona Coyotes tonight. Not exactly a strong team. They could finish out the season uh, four winners of four or five. And obviously now we're 25 days away, 26 days away from the draft lottery. And, and suddenly it's it's a familiar script playing out 
Uh, like here they go again, winning these games at the end of the year. Uh, as a player, former player, like what do you say about uh, the the idea of the, the the fans focus on on the draft lottery? But just just as a player, like did you ever think about end of season results, or is it just hey tonight we just got to get two points? I don't. I got to be honest with you. I don't think the two points really matters either way. Obviously, players are going to show up to try to play, get through this game. Obviously, try to. The problem with the games like this is players are going to show up and not try to get hurt or mm-hmm. not put themselves in that that compromising position, which therefore is a little less competitive. Um, in saying that, players are playing for you know I say career stats, but um, some are playing for contracts, right? So, you know, not that one extra assist or one extra goal, but again, it, it's these milestones and the other. You know, you're only as good as your last game played mentality. Um, there are some players that are going to sign a contract because not necessarily to just in the last game, but, you know, the collection of, of, of what they put together in the, in the back half of a season, like the, the Vancouver Canucks have had um, players have earned respect and some have lost it. Right. So I think it's, it's a difficult time for teams. Um, it's certainly for the fan. I absolutely understand it. We want to pick the highest. We want to get Connor Bedard. We want to, you know, win the lottery and by the Canucks winning some games and changing their coach, playing their you know number one goaltender who's actually been on a pretty good run um, of games, you know playing Quinn Hughes the most ice time in the National Hockey League in the last couple months, Elias Pettersson hitting 100 points. Um, I think the fan that wants to have that draft position is a little upset with you know the compete level and the competition that these players you know have have come with and, and won some games. But I can tell you from experience. Um, as a player, you can't turn it on and off like a switch. And when you do, that's that's losing behavior, losing attitude, losing mentality. And I tell you, you look back and it's a few recent teams. The Edmonton Oilers, when they drafted Taylor Hall, they had Jordan Eberle and they had Sam Gagne and, and Andrew Cogliano, young team that actually had promise and, you know, we're going to go somewhere. They were trying to tank so that they could actually pick first overall. You know who they picked? Nail Yakupov. How did that work out for the Edmonton Oilers? Not very good. 31% of first-round draft picks sign a second contract with the team they're drafted by after their entry-level contract. That means only one in three players drafted in the first round in the history of the NHL actually stay with their team past that first contract. 31%. So it is a crapshoot. I don't think the fans should put their stock, although we all want Connor Bedard um, picking ninth 10th or 11th you're going to get a good player it's going to be a positional probably base player that that vancouver desperately desires and um, i don't think the difference is going to be that much and you want a winning culture more so than having um losing behavior losing attitudes losing behavior i'll give you one other one Vic. the buffalo sabers they picked sam reinhardt they've lost the last the draft lottery for aaron ekblad the next year, they lost, finishing last, they lost the lottery, and they ended up picking Jack Eichel. Both those players, drafted number one and number two, are not with the Buffalo Sabres, haven't been for a couple seasons. The, both those players, Sam's a good player, but he didn't turn out to be a great player. He's a very good player. He's not great. Jack Eichel, he's a shell of himself. He's still a good player, but I'll tell you what, he's not a number two overall who was actually in the same conversation with Connor McDavid. And you know what? That happens. Losing losing, losing atmosphere in the Buffalo Sabres at locker room. 
over a course of a few seasons, and it doesn't help the development of a player. It really doesn't. Because I, I do like the ecosystem of, of what like this all is, right? Like owners have different motivations, GMs have different motivations, players have different motivations, and fans have a space in all this, and they have different motivations. And I like I understand post-deadline you, you make transactions based on contracts expiring and all that sort of stuff, and it, it's a different atmosphere at game 64 than it is at the start of the season. The thing I always push back on when we have this conversation of tanking, right, because I, I hate that word. There's a difference between losing naturally just because you're not skilled enough and, and having an organizational philosophy of trying to lose. And the thing I always go back to is there's no honor in it. Like, like that's the thing I get annoyed by. There's no honor in tanking. And I feel like it's it's promoted as idea to get to win. And sure, like, hey, look, there's value in teams of one at the top of the draft. Is this the way you want to win, though? And, and I go back to that. Like, you should have to do an honorable job in whatever you're trying to perform. Well, listen, I think I believe in karma. And I think any team that's going to try to tank to get to that position – they got the wrong wrong. First of all, you got if to tank, you need to buy in from not only management coaches, you need buy in from some players, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or certainly the buy into the philosophy. That's not the guy that I want to have to lead my team or be part of it for me, anyways. Um, yeah, I, I I find it it's it's a difficult situation though because we do and we are looking at a generational talent possibly. Mm-hmm. Certainly by the way it looks, Connor Bedard. I saw him play in in Saskatoon a week and a half ago. And this guy is outstanding. He, he did things that I've never seen a player do on the ice. And that's watching the NHL every night, you know, over the course of this past season. Connor Bedard's a special player. It would be great to have him come home to Vancouver, and I understand that. But there's going to be – it's a deep draft. There's going to be a lot of good players available. Um, the Vancouver Canucks were not going to finish last. They were not going to finish last to get a 23% chance to, to draft first overall. Um, we're talking – single digits percentage listen if they get lucky enough you buy one lottery ticket or you buy 10 you know what (laughs) chances are you're not going to win the lottery on either one of them you have almost as good of a chance with just buying one ticket and i think for vancouver um they will get a percentage hopefully and maybe maybe their number comes up and you know what this is a moot point but um i want guys that want to compete and i I, the other part i played for the toronto maple leafs uh, my second last season we we weren't going to make the playoffs I believe there was a, a, a motivation to play our third-string goaltender, who probably was a fourth-string uh, fourth goaltender, a few games. We lost those games. And then you know what happened? The guys in the locker room you know, were proud. And we went on a run. We won seven or eight games with a new goaltender, Marty, Martin Gerber. And we, we actually got Michelle Terrian from the Pittsburgh Penguins fired. And that was the year the Penguins won their first Stan- or that, their Stanley Cup since Mario, right? Um, in, in those days, our team in Toronto, as a, as a bunker mentality, you don't want to be embarrassed as a player. So even if management or, or the organization wants it and the fan base wants it, you're not going to get a total buy-in from players because you're playing for your career. You're playing for one more chance to lace up your skates. And it's true. There's going to be players that play one last game in the NHL and will never play again next year. That's absolutely true. You used a word there, which was one of my favorite words, compete. And, you know, you're, you're known as a ferocious competitor. And when that idea gets bandied about and fans are talking to you, like, do you get offended about the idea of hearing fans talk about tank? No, I, you know what? I understand it. I don't want to be – I'm not ignorant in the mm-hmm. sense. I, I, I absolutely appreciate what 
the 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 will of the people, the will of the fan base, what they want, and what they want is a winning team, and an entertaining team, and and a competitive team. But I just don't think you get it through the means of tanking. Um, I'm absolutely open to the conversation. I could sit on the other side and argue for every reason why the Vancouver Canucks should never have fired Bruce Boudreau, should never have hired Rick Tockett at the time they did, should never have made a trade for Philip Hironic, you know, trading away a first-round pick, um, and, and all of the above, and not playing their best players as much as they have. They've been playing like they're trying to win. But isn't that what the game's all about at this level? Um, I think it's a, there's a real philosophical difference for someone that would say, hey, I love the idea of them tanking, or, hey, I want a competitive team because you can't have both. Talking to Brad May, as we do uh, every Thursday here on The People's Show. Uh, over the weekend, uh, we, we haven't had a chance to talk to you about it. Uh, I know it's a few days removed from fans are maybe getting a bit tired of the conversation, but I, we've had so many former Canucks you know, comment about it. I did want to get your thoughts on on what Bo Horvat had to say after the game. And look, he walked it back, so it clearly wasn't a shot at the fans or anything like that. But he was asked about the playoff atmosphere, and he said, hey, it's, it's better – than it was in Vancouver, and you know, n- not a lot of frame of reference for Bo, but still, you know, he unprovoked brought up the name Vancouver, whether it's a shot at ownership or at management or the whole situation. Uh, you got any thoughts on on how that all went down over the weekend? Yeah, I do, and I, I first of all, um, yeah, I, I understand people in Vancouver, but guess what? This guy put his his heart and soul. He was a captain of the Vancouver Canucks into the organization. He was motivated to sign an extension and a contract, and it was delayed. And then it was delayed into a season where he was having a career breakout year. He gets traded from the, his beloved team. And everybody loves Bo Horvat, and he loved Vancouver. So let's, that's absolutely undeniable. I, I got traded. I played for eight different teams. I played for Vancouver, Vancouver twice. When you're wearing a different jersey, you don't have the same connection to the team and the city and the organization because you're now playing for a new bloodline and, and a new legacy. And Paul Horvat was hurt by being traded. He wanted to stay in Vancouver, although he got what he wanted. He got an extension, his contract, all good for him. He's now in the playoffs. Vancouver's not. And when you get traded from a team, especially the first time you're traded, now Bo, this was Bo's second, but he wasn't part of a team when he was first traded to Vancouver, to be picked. I think Bo Horvat has motivation deep inside of him to stick it to the Vancouver Canucks, the Vancouver Canucks organization. And for fans, don't take that personal, but that's the, that's the heart and soul that you wanted to be the captain of your team. And he definitely did that. I don't think he should have apologized for anything he said, because I would have said the same thing, because now you're playing for a new team. And guess what? He's on a quest to win a Stanley Cup with his new team, his new contract. And there's nothing shy of that. There's not. There's no shame in that. Tom Brady left the New England Patriots, won a Stanley or won a Super Bowl with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was trying to stick it to every Patriot player, organization, person, to actually prove that hey, I'm still a good player and I'm going to beat you. And that's exactly where I think Bo's heart was. So I don't think you get mad at him. I, I think you really relish and, and enjoy, um, maybe even. Um, really respect his competitiveness. We've talked before when you were traded from Buffalo and, and just how hard that was. You know, what helped you in your process to you know forget Buffalo and try to move on and focus on the task at hand with Vancouver? 
got to be honest with you. Um, Jealousy is the green-eyed monster. I got <laughs> traded from Buffalo. They went to the they went to the um, conference final, lost to the Washington Capitals, and then they went to the Stanley Cup finals and lost on a on a bogus goal by Brett Hull. Right? The Dallas Stars beat the Buffalo Sabers foot in the crease goal. Um, I watched those next season and a half, but the better part of two seasons, and I was jealous. I was envious, and it's not a place where you want to live and be. And it it took time took a little bit maturity and and, and life experiences to actually forget but it also took a little bit of personal success and and you know comfort to really um, assimilate into a new environment so it took me time I think that's the answer for that Um, but every player that gets traded the first time they don't like the team that traded it's like being dumped just before the high school prom you know and that and and that's that's a really bad feeling um, it's a lonely feeling. You feel insecure. Although the moment you land in the next city you're playing, it's like you're taking the, a, a 10 to the dance. You're so excited that the team that picks you or, or traded for you, they wanted you. You feel that love. You feel that sincerity. And um, I think that's where Bo is right now. His team, they battled to get in the playoffs. He's, he's bleeding for another group of people, group of men. And um, I think it's exciting to watch. I can't wait. This is the best time of the year. Stanley Cup playoffs coming up. Yeah, we'll start talking about that next week as we uh, start uh, getting into the first round uh, and seeing really uh, these teams competing. It's still a few matchups to be decided. Just on that idea, too, of of the the jealousy factor, um, did that motivate your training at all or anything like that? You know what? For all the good things it did, it, it was so crazy that the first game I played against the Buffalo Sabres as a Vancouver Canuck, if people are listening and remember that that game, big brawl and you know broke out at the end of the game, and um, Buffalo beat us. I actually got off to a great start. I had a goal and assist in the first period. I thought I, you know, I thought of riding my stick down the ice and, and stick it to the Buffalo Sabers. They ended up coming back and winning. And one of my friends, my previous teammate Derek Plant, late in the game poked Garth Snow in the pads, trying to score their fifth or sixth goal, and I snapped. I punched Derek, who I used to ride to the rink with, you know, not every day, but most days. And um, I punched him in the nose with my glove on, and I broke his nose very badly, where it was basically on one of his cheekbones. And um, that's kind of one of those moments where I don't know if I could have changed who I was at that time. I, I was so, so focused and so, I don't know if it was angry, but so um, intense but I, but I feel I, I'm, I feel bad. I have a little bit of, um, I say shame. That might not be the right, right word. But that I actually punched my friend in the nose in a game that was out of reach, and um, I did it because I lost my composure. So pressure can do one of two things to you. It can either sink you, or it can make you dig in deep and and, and become better. Um, I think for me at that moment, I I didn't handle it properly. Uh, last one for you here, um, or last topic at least, uh, exit meetings. We're going to see uh, the Vancouver Canucks pack up shop uh, with the locker room clean out uh, on Saturday and uh, the exit meetings that they'll have with coaches and management. Uh, what were the, the important ones for you and, and things that were said to you uh, for exit meetings? Well, it's, they're very important, although I think there may be two. Like, obviously, they have to do it because every player is still you know, in the building and mm-hmm. it's the day that you're taking your bags away or – certainly within a couple of days of the season ending. Um, 
I think they happen too soon because it's too raw. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as a player, you go in, certainly in a losing season or a season you don't make the playoffs. And I was on a few of those teams. Um, you can't feel good about yourself. Now, there's a few players, like in this case, Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, Kuzmenko, guys that have had career years. Um, they're going to get a tap on the back, keep working. I'm here, you know, this is, our, this is our philosophy for the summer, which is a new group. Obviously, they've learned it over the last couple months. But a lot of players are not going to get the straight goods um, of really of, of who they are and what needs to change. Because none of us want to hear the bad things about our games. They don't want to hear about the warts, you know. Um, and, and, and I don't think it happens too intensely right after the season. And some players go away feeling maybe not satisfied with what they were told. And other guys feel that their year was better than what it was. And I think, you know, this new group in Vancouver, you've got some great professionals, guys that won the Stanley Cup, that can impart this great knowledge on their players. Um, so I trust that. But I think the meetings happen too quick. Was there a moment? Uh, or... Sorry, go ahead. Was there a meeting that you were annoyed by? Well, I, I had a meeting, and the first one that comes to mind, I'm thinking Vancouver. Um, and we didn't make the playoffs. And I had broke my hand late, late in the year, actually in practice. Um, so I missed maybe a couple games. I can't remember at the end of the season. And that year-end meeting, you know, was, listen, Brad, get, so I was motivated to go. I was going to sign a contract. My contract had expired. It was 2000. And I didn't know where I was going to go. Um, in the sense, I didn't know what Vancouver was going to re-sign me. I didn't know was the rest of the league, you know, on a losing year. And I didn't get to play the last few games because I had a broken hand. Um, you know, where's, where's the momentum to sign another contract? Um, I went home. I started working out a heck of a lot sooner than, you know, taking a couple weeks off, a month off or whatever that was. Um, I got into working out right away once I got my cast off my hand. And I was working out to be a Vancouver Canuck, hope, hope, hopeful that Brian Burke was going to sign me to a contract. And somewhere, I don't know, 24th of June, right around the expansion draft, um, I got traded slash I, w- I was allowed to go sign as a free agent type player um, with an agreement with Berkey. And I, and I ended up, got a head start on my training for the Phoenix Coyotes, um, who I didn't meet any of their brass or coaching staff until training camp. And um, I was incredibly motivated to make it, you know, a real difference, not to miss the playoffs, which happened again, but um, to do your part to actually be a player, but also earn the money that you're going to sign for and extend your career. So I remember that meeting, walking out of it, not feeling good, but saying to myself, you know, it's it proofs in the pudding. The team wasn't good. Your year wasn't great. Um, the only thing you can do, you can either bitch and complain or you can get to work. And for me, um, it was very easy. Work wasn't hard. You know, hard work's not if, – if hard work was easy, they'd call it easy work. But for me, I was motivated to work hard. And I think that's a difference. Hey, Brad, you're the best, man. I always love these chats. Uh, we'll connect, and uh, the first round of the playoffs will be underway next week. I appreciate it. All the best. All right, we got to run. That's Brad May here on The People Show. Canuck Central on the way. Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw, home with Canuck Sportsnet 650.